Hello, and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Ben Cheatham, and my focus here at CM Industrial is the additive manufacturing market. This is the first in a three-part series discussing the future of smart factories and their implications on industrial industries across the globe. Today, I talk with Mike Yang, COO of LuxCreo, about the role of 3D printing and other additive manufacturing practices within the future of smart factories. Whether you're in the additive manufacturing industry, are intrigued by discussions around smart factories, or are wondering what their introduction means for the future of your company and market, then be sure to have a listen. In the next episodes, my colleagues, Alex Corkwell and Samir Jaffrey, will also be discussing the impact of smart factories on the industrial and warehouse automation markets too. So please subscribe to the series to be notified when their episodes become available. Here it is, and I hope you enjoy listening. So yeah, thanks again for, for jumping on, Mike. Just for just for the purpose of uh, the podcast, uh, Mike, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background and, and what it is that, that you do. Uh, yeah, I'm the chief operating officer at LuxCrail, and I've been in the hard tech space in the last you know, 20, 25 years. Uh, last one being a fuel cell company that went public in 2018 at the New York Stock Exchange. Very excited to be in the additive manufacturing space, especially LuxCrail. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. So we've we've got you on just to have a quick chat about smart factories within additive manufacturing and uh, manufacturing as a whole, because LuxCrail uh, is uh, a company that uh, sort of promote this, and it's something that you're trying to implement to to change the way additive manufacturing is used um, and the technology as a whole. So. What is your definition of a, of a smart factory, Mike? Uh, so I would uh, say smart factory are defined in two dimensions. On one dimension, I think on the more qualitative front is what most people are or have been, you know, been hearing a lot about, but just put it in more the uh, quantitative terms, is the characteristics of what a smart factory should, be, should do in order to qualify as a smart right, factory. Um, on the other dimension that I'll say it is more of the services that a factory should offer uh, in order for that to be a factory. So, you know, on the smartphone, I would say is that it needs to be nimble, scalable, connected, and automated, right? So each of those, what I mean is nimble means that it needs to be adaptive. It needs to be on demand, flexible capacity, and ready for customization. In comparison to the traditional factory, which is more of a mode, which could take, you know, minute, you know, hours just to switch in and out uh, of the modes. Now, being scalable, think of the data center that we have is we have data centers, uh, blades, that is, you know, AWS, you know, Amazon service being the most, uh, you know, one that most everybody is familiar with is the machines got to be ready to make different prints at the term of a dime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we got to be able to go from one to a million very quickly, as opposed to, you know, waiting for a month to build a factory. So... That's the aspect about scalable. And last, you know, set, and then thirdly about cl- cloud connected. It's more of a concept of a distributed computer, uh, printing platform where you know the factory that could be that could be that is coordinated, that is digital, and is distributed. Or you know, another way to say it is that you know, produce as your neighborhood, as opposed to somewhere in a very remote country. And then lastly, mm-hmm. about automation, I think that is something that everybody know about. You know, the Darfab, the end-to-end expert system. Um, which, you know, leveraging machine to help us to become more efficient. So that's one mm-hmm. dimension about, you know, being smart. Now on the factory front is, I would say that there are five services that a smart factory ought to offer um, design, 
analysis, prototyping, testing, and production. And if you think about those five steps, those five steps are, you know, what takes a product from a concept to the product in the customer's hand. And I will argue is that a smart factory ought to offer different facets of this to have help a designer or a producer to take a product from concept, from concept or design to product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's the, the problem that a smart factory is going to solve? Because the, the timeline of having something built in or, or made uh, and prototyped in a traditional uh, manufacturing facility, that can be one, quite costly, and two, sort of, it's not really time efficient. So do you think that is, uh, and that's leading on to the next question is, do you think that's what the uh, smart factories uh, are solving the problem of? Um, but also to that, what issues are smart factories bringing with them? So one, what is the problem that it's solving? And two, what are the issues with smart factories? Well, I see smart factory, uh, smart factory opening up a lot of opportunities. And, and, mm-hmm. and like you said, is that it solves certainly quite a few issues. Um, you know, um, like today, everybody's reminded of the supply chain issues causing the uh, shortages for a lot of industries. What a smart factory will be able to do is to address the volatile demands that we're currently having by having distributed production. Um, and obviously that also uh, kind of addresses the supply chain shortage, shortage problem that we have. And on top of that is that it should reduce the uh, the waste. Um, and it comes by by reducing the um, you know the all the inventories that was caught in the uh, in the logistics. And in doing so, what you're going to be able to see is that it's going to open up like new horizons, like fast fashion, right? Able to do well with the traditional logistics, but imagine that you know going forward that with a good smart fact that you know every company is going to be able to catch the fashion uh, the fashion chain very fast. Um, so I think the other the um, challenges that uh, you have mentioned about the new challenges that it you know, brought about, I, I see that more as with the new technology and new ways of looking at the um, and manufacturing, you have um, you know, new, I guess, like the uh, issues that we need to deal with. Um, on one hand is that security. You know, once we started doing a distributed manufacturing, you know, how do we control this uh, you know, and, and, and uh, avoid the hackers getting into the system and disrupting the production? That is something, you know, it's a well-known art, but when it comes to manufacturing, I think that a lot of those might be behind with this new platform. Um, and then of course is the automation and the management of the smart factory. Those are you know, going from the more traditional factory management to more of a data center management. Like mm-hmm. it, it certainly requires a change in the mindset and skill set of managing the factory. And I would say another um, another kind of dimension that it brought is the new capabilities of a smart factory, i.e., the you know the ability to do you know fast lots, to do small lots, to do customizations. That is going to add on pressure on the design side and on the business side on how to. Uh, make customization feasible 
and, and having good user experiences. And that is an area where I see uh, more efforts needs to be put in. I mean, so, so, something to go with the customization thing, and it's something that we've, we touched on before, like you say, somebody has in, in a fast moving consumer goods market or something like that, they have sort of a couple of seconds to decide whether it's something they want to buy, which is quite impulsive, whereas customization can take quite some time. Um, but with this, they could maybe customize something at their, their own desk or at home, have this produced in a smart factory, um, which one, it allows them to customize it at, at minimal cost or, or no cost at all, um, but also it's personal to them as well. Exactly, exactly, right? So what we're talking about is, you know, one aspect of, of that is going to be, you know, AI, right? AI engines helping consumers quickly generate their customized, personalized designs, um, you know. And then on the other hand is really business. I really believe that the uh, leveraging smart factory uh, is going to require new business, uh, new business models. Uh, today, a lot of the consumer brand are built on impulse purchase, right? It's really advertising, giving customer like seven to 15 seconds at most to make a decision, to move a lot of uh, goods fast. And that's what they're used to. Now, when we started having personalization, which bring much more added value to the consumer, but it does require time to you know, acquire biodata on the consumer. It does require the consumer to think a little bit about what they want, what they need, right? And some of that may be curations by professional like doctors you know, or, or artists. Now, all those, mm -hmm. I think over time is going to get built into a person's, you know, online digital profile, right? And that's coming, right? You know, on the metaverse, that's just another example of, you know, people building their ultra ego, their alternative information. But another way to look at it is that really we're just building our data in a digitalized form um, and how we like to be treated, how we like to be perceived. Um, and once those become more concrete um, and accessible and standardized, and I, I think customization is going to be much, much easier together with the advancement on the other side of, you know, engineers or AI engineers and artists uh, start creating those applications that could take those data and turn it into virtual products or real, real product designs. Mm -hmm. I mean, for something that, that we, you, what you've just said there is the, the customization and, and, and digitalization. So I think a lot of people as well, I think they potentially may need to get a little bit more educated on the difference between digitization from analog to, to digital and then the digitalization of a, a process. So going from manual labor to, to automated labor, because there is a slight difference, even though the words are very, very similar. Um, and I think that potentially, and I think you might agree as well, is the sticking point to further adoption to smart factories, people not understanding how to, or companies not understanding how to implement this. So what do you think is the next step towards implementation of smart factories uh, as a whole AM? And obviously, because AM plays a small cog in the big wheel, what are the next steps towards smart factories? Well, I, I, like you said, is that I see AM um, functioning more like the CPU in a computer, whereas the analogy with mm -hmm. that computer is the smart factory. Additive manufacturing is sort of the central brain. Now I use CPU instead of uh, ASICs, application specific IC, primarily to say that is that the additive manufacturing link needs to be nimble, 
uh, needs to be, uh, you know, just being able to scale fast, right? So that there's a, an intention upon intended in, in that uh, using that analogy of CPU. But the challenges to adoption that, uh, as you just mentioned, is, you know, today is we're still at the nascent, you know, early days of additive manufacturing. So another way to put it is really today for the solutions to be ready, people needs to be more focused on the application specific. Well, I think that development needs to be done more around application specific solutions rather than try to have a general solve all solution, which is gonna come in the future. Um, mm -hmm. Take Luxquare, for example, is that we have been focusing on production first, but in doing that, we realized that we cannot do everything. So we focus on a couple of verticals. First of all, it's on the footwear. And you could see that, you know, the solutions that we bring to the market allows people to print you know, designs and, and shoes or slippers, sliders that are impossible in the past. That's one dimension. I think dental is another area where additive manufacturing have been blossoming. Um, and, you know, not just us, but, you know, quite a few companies were able to tackle issues in the dental space and really come up with innovative solutions. And that's what the market needs. And, and I would say that the uh, um, additive manufacturing is chipping away like metal space, um, dental spaces and footwear spaces. Uh, what uh, we're also bringing to the market um, are on the elastic spaces and clear transparent printing. So those are very solution specific as opposed to, you know, just in the past, more focusing on right, the whole concept of additive manufacturing, but really doing nothing more than prototyping. Um, so being solution first mm -hmm. at this stage, meaning having to make decisions and choices. And you had talked about that another challenge is really the mindset on the company side on how to design products that are more suitable for additive manufacturing. And that's a change. Um, there's analogies I like to use is back in the 1980s or, or late 90s, um, carbon fiber was introduced into the aerospace industry. But when it was first introduced at Boeing, designers were trying to use this material using the traditional steel design. And my partner, Michael Strohacker, would just tell you is that he was in the midst of that. He was one of the early engineers helping Boeing to be designing their new plane using carbon fibers. But it was a fiasco. Why is that? Because the first stage or the first uh, you know, couple implementations, people were just trying to use the steel design, but just changing the material. It simply just doesn't work. It doesn't work because they didn't factor into the capabilities as well as the you know, it's more brittle, even though it is lighter, right, and stronger. So it takes a while for the engineers to come to this conclusion that gosh, we got to redesign this differently. We got to hollow out certain areas so that we're going to be able to result into a lighter plane that is more fuel efficient. At the same time, having those, um, you know, the structures reinforced at the right places, right. So that I would say is what needs to happen in additive, additive manufacturing too, is the product, more product needs to come to the market with the proper design that takes advantage of additive manufacturing, right? 
and, and a lot of that is going to go around lattice. Right? Additive manufacturing allows production with hollow structures, with lattice structures, right? The, mat, the, meta, the meta properties of lattice structure um, is it, quite magical. And I, I think I probably sound like a broken record. I like to, usually I like to give the example of that, right? When you have a chunk of steel, it is hard, it is immovable, right? But think about when you, you know, shape steel into a mm -hmm. coil, you get a spring, right? It become, it can rebound, yeah. right? It give you this uh, cushion structure that you do not associate with a piece of solid steel. Mm -hmm. And that is the meta property of a material when you combine it with a geometric shape, right? And, and that, that, that property, that meta property, you, you'll find that, you know, sometimes it can give you material, the property to shrink when you press on it, when you heat it, right? right? And when you started having those properties, right, the design space is suddenly just expanded further. So that, that's where I, I see that more investment into design, taking advantage of additive manufacturing used to be put in. Um, now, of course, as we mentioned about security and another aspect is cost. Um, that's where a trade-off between, um, you know, making a few hundred thousand parts to a few million parts. I think today the injection mode still has advantage when you're making parts in the millions uh, in a central location where you don't care about the timing. Uh, what I would just say is that the timing is more the lead in, 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 um, in the marketplaces. Um, but, you know, when you're starting talking about personalization or customization, you know, lot sizes, which varies on the days, um, I would argue that additive manufacturing actually have an advantage. Um, but then it really depends on what product that you're bringing to the market. Yeah, definitely. I mean, something that, that you mentioned as well is having the capabilities to, to redesign something and think a little bit outside the box so not just change the material but also change the properties because of how it works and, and how it does so does that change or will that impact certain roles within the business to one run a smart factory uh, and two obviously to, to take advantage of what additive manufacturing offers so how is that going to impact businesses hiring functions and specific roles from being labor intensive to being more perhaps niche skill set and, and defined positions? Uh, right. I, I think it's actually smart factory is going to help um, the whole manufacturing space in upgrading um, functions from repetitive labors where, you know, there's certainly a big shortage on the workers, primarily because human beings just don't like to do repetitive work, right? Where they're not mentally challenged, um, where it's easily replaced by machines. So I see that is smart factory will be able to fill in those gaps um, and allowing people to shift over to higher functions um, such as designing, such as AI engineering, uh, you know, taking solutions or file data and quickly turn it into designs uh, without human interventions. Um, and uh, industrial engineering, um, people helping, you know, making schedules of the machines um, so that it can flow uh, more efficiently, right? Um, and the conversion from kind of global logistic and inventory management, long haul logistics to local logistics, right? 
uh, things making in a distributed fashion, in a distributed network, and how do you coordinate those logics? Where do you do the production? And how do you do this last mile uh, deliveries, right? Those are actually very interesting problems and very interesting roles. And then, you know, I, I also see that, but then they will the, reduce jobs today where people don't want to do or that are wasteful. Um, right? And we talk about we take repetitive uh, direct labor, right? and then to some ex extent, the factory HRs, the function that should have a reduced place in the future, shifting to more of a remote global scale network management on the higher functions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, as a complete whole, just to just to sort of wrap wrap the conversation up about smart factories. So the the definition of it is something that you you analyzed quite well. Um, one of the things that were an issue um, and sort of stopping the adoption or, or slowing the adoption down was the, was the cost. Uh, and also then when you moved on to the analogy of, of the steel and, and the, the carbon fiber is understanding how to use the materials with the technology and coming up for uh, and being solutions and, and product focused first, like, like you guys are, are at Lux Creo. Um, and then obviously moving on to that, into the hiring aspect of it. So people can look at maybe hiring for the next two to five years is getting these niche people into the business, having them upskilled and, and ready to be able to adapt to the new technologies that are coming with new ways of, of working um, and, and being able to do this on a, on a remote and global scale as well. So would you agree that that's a, a good of a wrap up of the points mentioned? That's a great summary, Ben. Yeah. You have a talent in doing those summaries. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. But I just wanted to obviously thank you for, for coming on. Um, it, it's been good to understand a little bit more and have an insight into what you think as uh, as a professional from within the industry, because this is something that you're doing and you're trying to implement. So like you've got a very, very deep and, and good understanding of it. And it'd be good to see other businesses and, uh, and industries take this on board and, and see if we can Get, the, get a further adoption of AM and, and obviously smart factories and, and see what the future holds. So thanks, uh, thanks for your time, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure sharing my, uh, my perspectives. So that was my CM conversation with Mike Yang, COO of Lux Creo. I'd like to thank Mike again for his time and the insight he provided on this fascinating topic. I hope anyone who is interested in any of the topics we discussed during the podcast could gain some valuable perspectives from his role within the industry. If you'd like to hear more from industry leaders about the future of smart factories and the effects on the wider automation industrial industry, then please subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next episodes are live. Thank you again for listening. I've been your host, Ben Cheatham. Bye for now.